Dan, good news. You've got a positive podcast to edit this week. Enjoy it. Right, let's go. Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. Uh, I am Git Dothwilin and with me tonight is Matt Baroku. How are you, Matt? Evening, in a good mood for once. <laughs> brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Unfortunately, Steve uh, can't be with us tonight. Rumour has it that he couldn't stand the idea of a positive Jackcast podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was immoral, according to him. So uh, he's uh, he's not going to be joining us. Just for clarification, that's not the reason he can't uh, make it tonight. Um but it is ironic, really. They can't be here on the one podcast where we've got pretty much nothing but positives to uh, discuss. So without further ado, Matt, let's dive into it. Uh, the Swans, probably uh, until last night, the worst away team in the division on current form, um, went away to West Bromwich Albion and lo and behold, got a very rare away win. Yeah, it was definitely needed. I mean, the performance, we were talking to a few of my mates uh, before the game kicked off, and I was just thought, you know, at this stage, I'll accept defeats, um, looking to build, but we need to have something to build upon, and it needs a performance. I think we, what we'd seen, as we discussed before we started recording it, or we had the, the Hull, and we had uh, Sheffield United, um, Stoke in between. Stoke. Yeah, absolutely. Um, three horrendous games, and they almost got worse every time each game came. So it just felt like, how bad can this go? So we needed a reaction. I think Russell Martin was quite clear and, all, and, and, and honest about that in his assessment post-Sheffield United. Um, and the, to be fair, the players gave it. I thought last night uh, showed a lot more uh, intent and composure to... Not not shoot ourselves in the foot quite often as often as we've been doing in recent weeks and allow ourselves something to play for as the game reached the latter stages and from from the post match analysis it sounds very much like that was the tactic and we played it off to to perfection. Yeah, Joe, you know I I would I went up there um, uh, on on Monday night um, rare away game for me. Um, and I, one of the things that struck me was before kickoff, before the teams had even come out of the tunnel or anything, um, Russell Martin came over, walked all the way over to the away end um, and kind of got the fans kind of pumped up, clapped us. And um, I don't know, it was, you know, something quite unusual. You don't see managers doing that very often. I don't know if Martin's done that before. Like I said, I don't go to most away games, but if it felt, you know, if it, it felt kind of oh what's going on here and it just felt like he he wanted to make sure that everything was everybody was in the right mood and everybody was with the right attitude for this kind of game because looking at West Brom's form going into the game we all knew that no matter how badly Swansea played this was definitely a winnable game I mean West Brom Albion one win in their previous 11 before this game I think they'd failed to score in um, all but eight of those games, um, you know, they'd still only won- lost one home game all season, it should be said. They've had a lot of nil-nil draws uh, at home. But, you know, they were clearly a team in a really bad way. Steve Bruce hadn't won a game yet. So they were there for the taking. Mm. Um, but I think, like you said, the, the way the Swans came out in that first half, it was a very cautious 
uh, approach. Um, we saw Wolf and Christie switch wings uh, to begin with, which mm. I think at, at the beginning everybody was really quite confused about and not really understanding what what was what was the thinking behind that. But w- more I thought about during the game, it made sense because they were playing up against Diangana and Robinson, two wingers slash forwards who really enjoy cutting in. They're not really traditional wingers they, they'll they'll cut in at every single opportunity so it made sense then to have sort of um christy as a right footer up against Diangana and and wolf as a left footer up against um robinson uh, and for the most part i think it worked so um you know it but i think the bottom line match with, with the first half was it wasn't a classic by any means um west brom had the only you know, clear cut chance of the entire half when uh, Robinson hit the post. We got a bit lucky with that one. Um, but other than that, the Swans managed to keep them quiet. We kept the ball pretty comfortably. But when we got into the kind of the, the West Brom half, I just felt there was a lot of hesitancy there. We were very, very careful. And like you said, I think after recent away games, there was just this feeling that we want to be extra cautious. We don't want to mess things up. We don't want to take too many risks. Let's just keep it at nil-nil. Let's just keep things safe and sensible and not put ourselves in a position where we've got an uphill battle. Because we know, Matt, from from experience this season, when the Swans fall behind in a game, um, odds are it's going to turn into two, three, four goals um, very, very quickly, as, as we saw against... Stoke and against uh, Sheffield United. So, in my opinion, even though that first half definitely won't win any beauty contests, it wasn't particularly exciting. Neutrals watching on Sky would have probably hated it. I think it was probably the right tactic from Russell Martin. Yeah, I mean, this, this as you as you rightly mentioned there. I mean, look at the last three games. I've already talked about Hull, Stoke, and Sheffield United. Hull, we were out of the game in 20 minutes. Stoke, we should have been out of the game in 20 minutes for their poor finishing. And Sheffield United, we were out of the game in 20 minutes. So um, first and foremost, we can look and say, right, if we get an early goal here against West Brom, their fans will turn. Um, which may have been the case. But more importantly, what we don't want to do is do what we've done in the last three away games and give the opposition uh, something to cling on to and something to get excited about and for their fans to rally behind. So the important thing uh, last night was to make sure we don't give them anything to, to sniff at and to grab at. Um, and like you say, the Callum Robinson effort that came off the post was the, the standout moment in that first half. But um, to, to, to watch how the game developed and how we didn't push any, didn't we commit anything? We, we played some lovely football in patches in that first half, not in any dangerous areas, but it was still nice to see us try things going forward, even if we weren't creating a great deal in the final third. But it was some lovely one-touch pass. And I thought, and I know this may be controversial because some people have slated him, but I actually thought Hannes Wolf had a, had oh. a great game. And I, I thought some people didn't really rate him at all. In last I don't get it. I don't I get don't, it. What did you think? I thought he did a great game. I, th- I, thought, I thought that was possibly his best game for the Swans. Like, I, <laughs> I thought he played really well. I thought he was mm. defensively solid, worked, you know, worked hard as he always does. Um, but there was some really good play between himself and Patterson. Yes, he was always giving so. giving us an option on the left. Um, second half, especially, obviously, he really grew into the game. Second half and um, pivotal in the opener as well. Uh, yeah, Doc I mean, he, talked he, about with his tracking back there. Ex- exactly. I mean, he, he's the one that wins the ball back uh, in his own half and gives it. And Cham, who we'll discuss in a bit, you know, he was 
the main the main event in that goal really. But then Wolf, um, you know, picked out the cross for um, which caused the chaos in the West Brom box for the second as well. I, yeah. I thought Wolf was really good. I can, I remember leaving um, the stadium last night, looking at my phone and seeing quite a few people kind of saying that they were losing patience with Wolf and that they weren't, you know, that that they didn't get what he was trying to do, etc. I was like. Really? Have we have we watched the same game? I don't know. Sometimes a game can look differently in the stadium to what it does at home. But I I thought he was, you know, really promising and and was a key player in the win. But there we go. That's just me. I mean, I think a, a halftime, Matt, there were both teams had it looked to me like two two teams in that first half who weren't backing each other, but weren't backing themselves. You know, West Brom. You could see why they were in such a mess. Their passing was really shaky. Um, they they had a few chances, but they too had moments where they got into dangerous positions and then kind of looked backwards. Went didn't you know didn't back themselves to take the take that extra risk. And and when they did put the cross into the box, it, it was usually really poor quality. Um, and then the Swans, like we said, were playing it quite safe and not taking too many risks. So it was a question, really, of which side was going to come out in the second half and really kind of set the tempo and say, right, we're going to go for it. And there was no doubt it was the Swans who did that straight away, basically, in that second half. They came out and they said, right, we're going to play on the front foot and we're going to be a bit more adventurous. And not too far into the second half, you had Joel Piru hitting the post from a very tight angle. And it, the longer the half went on, the more pressure the Swans built, the more we kind of pinged West Brom back, the most frustrated the home fans went. And the more you kind of felt, come on, there is something in this game for us if we can just get that final ball right. Yeah, definitely. Well, there were there was, I could say that the first half didn't produce much uh, that you could, you know, you would want to make a highlight reel about. And Sky replayed the same two things about ten times, <laughs> desperate to find any content for that uh, halftime break. But there was nothing. You unless, think- unless of course you were Wyndham Evans. I don't know if you've seen the um, the, the highlights. Oh, on this, the- I've seen the Mac Grimes effort that went wide. <laughs> That's the and- one. Celebrated for five seconds, yeah. <laughs> hey. Even when even when Matt Grimes was kind of looking away and kind of shaking his head, yeah. Windows still said it's a goal. Yeah, <laughs> like I think we were what, fifteen minutes into the second half by the time. We, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> no, to be fair, um, yeah, we we Windham Evans is uh he's a, he's a very excitable commentator. We love, we love the love the fact that he's um. So passionate, isn't he, about the Swans? That was quite a funny moment last night. Uh, probably did see it live. I was watching the uh, the Sky Sports coverage, but the um, when well, I did see it back in the highlights, uh, I did laugh. But I mean, Sky could only pick up the Cyrus Christie header at the back post, um, which which the keeper um, uh, beat away uh, quite comfortably. And um, and the reality of the first half was that uh, had that second half gone the other way. The first half would have looked worse than it does now, and the fact that the game has come the way it's gone, as 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 looked like, and it, and, and by all accounts, not discrediting it, but in a stretch because it has played out like a masterclass. Uh, as Martin said after the game, look, we've done our research, we've done our homework on these. We know they concede loads after the hour mark. They cannot keep a clean sheet at that stage. So we need to just make sure that we're in that game and 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 play for that drab opening hour if you need to, just to keep it boring, keep it quiet. Um, look, West Brom did hit the woodwork twice, so it could have gone another way. And they did have Andy Carroll on the pitch, which definitely should have gone another way. It's a but, miracle um, he didn't score. Yeah, unbelievable. I 
I'm happy to just jinx myself because if there's one thing I can do is put opposition players off scoring by putting a bet on them doing so because I am awful at betting. So, um, yeah, I managed to do that. Uh, I'm £10 lighter as a result of it, but Swan's paid, <laughs> got the benefit of it. Um, Thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> do you remember a couple of years ago when I was predicting defeats week in, week out, and we kept getting the wins? Uh, I feel like I've got some sort of opposite curse with the Swans, where I just, uh, whatever I say, the opposite happens. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it was really one of those things that had the second half effort just sneaked inside the post or the first half header not veer away at the last second. Um, it could have been a different story because, as we know, Swans going behind is not a good, good news story um, anywhere normally, but away from home in particular. Uh, so, yes, it was something that we had to make sure that we didn't give them too much. And to be fair, we didn't. There was those fleeting moments aside. Um, West Brom, they looked so poor and very much a team low on confidence, low on ideas, um, and something that we can perhaps resonate with in, in recent weeks. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. We had to come out in the second half and really take the ball by the horns. And um, we were much more positive. And taken in its full context, the fact that the game went the way it did looks great from Russell Martin because it's almost like this is exactly how I hoped it would play out. Had the second half effort from Karen Robinson uh, found the back of the net rather than hit the post, then the first half may have looked like, well, that was a shocking game all in all. But yes, it was great the way it panned out in the end. And um, we'll probably go on to talk about the goal specifically now. But uh, in, in terms of um, the gameplay and the way it developed, Swans, you could see them growing, growing, growing. And the people were talking on social media saying, West Brom are absolutely there for the taking here. We, if we just give a little bit more, and you could see it, the players feeling the confidence. Um, the the, the link-up play was getting more and more fluid and more and more adventurous. I was noticing us try to play the balls um, early into the channels. One of my biggest criticisms, Gitto, as you as you well know, is us taking the second, third, fourth touch. Yep. And it slows the play down, it allows the opposition to regroup, and then the opening that was on isn't on anymore. And that was something that we, we kind of, particularly in the second half, stepped away from. All yep. of a sudden, the ball was moved a lot quicker, and we were going straight into the feet of the attacking player, and it was giving us something to build off. Um, and, and and we also had the big opportunity before the opening goal, in which Michael Oberfermi got in between the two centre-halves and, and directed his header over the bar, um, even then you thought, was that it? Was that the chance? Um, thankfully, a man who absolutely, definitely owed us a performance came on and gave us one. That's the thing. And Cham, like, let's get down to it. We Earlier on the season, I think we were all raving about him. Um, he was having some fantastic games. Um, could, couldn't play 90 minutes in any of them. Obviously, you know, he, he'd get tired after about an hour. Uh, but he had a, a number of games where he thought, wow, this this guy's a class act. You know, the kind of midfielder that we really needed in this system to make it work. Um, having some standout performances. But over the last few months, there's no doubt those performances have pretty much disappeared. You know, he's um, and he's gradually just lost more and more of everything that, that makes him an effective an effective player, really. Not as... Um, good on the ball, not as physically imposing, not as energetic. 
um, and just nowhere near as effective. And then he came off the bench last night and within what was it, like a minute or two? I mm. mean, he picks up that ball and just runs down the wing. Um, the, the boy Castro, what he's doing diving in in that position, you know, that's the folly of youth there. That was a really stupid decision, um, which freed up that wing for um, foreign champ. But then he, he gets into the box, head up, and picks out a really nice cro- um, ball back to, to the path of Piru, who just smashes it, basically. This, you know, it's not the corner, it's straight to the keeper, it just goes through the keeper. Um, but for me, that goal, even though Piru's the man with the name on the score sheet, that one is pretty much entirely down to Encham. And that was the Encham of old, the Encham that we saw, you know, up until November, really. Um, you know, that was him at his best. And it, it was just a reminder that when he is at his best, damn, he's a classy player. He is a seriously, seriously good player. Do you know who um, he is, Gitto? And, and, and this is the closest comparison I can think of, and people may agree or disagree with this. He's Leroy Fair. Yeah. I mean, he's Leroy Fair reincarnated in a Swan shirt year. Not Leroy Fair hasn't passed away, by the way, but in the sense of his Swan's career, he's on the pitch there, and every time he's on the pitch, you want to pull your hair out because you're starting, you know that I don't care who we're playing against, he is going to be the most talented player on the pitch in any game if he can be asked. And, and they're and pretty similar like in terms of the, champ. They're, they're pretty similar in style as well. You know, both of them play. The game kind of on the half turn always. Yeah, very turn. dynamic, very uh, physically. Uh, when they start going, they, they, there's not many people that can get them off the ball. They can just he can leave a shoulder in to shield the ball, and players will bounce off them. You know. Yeah. Um, oh. And they and they can move with it. They can bring through the lines. Um, they're so similar, and 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 seeing the attitude and the performance, I've labelled Cham on more than one occasion this season lazy. And I've also done that many times in the past with Leroy Fair. Because you just know he's got it in his locker. And sometimes he just he's not bothering to track. He's not bothering. He's it's lazy. It's 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 sloppy in his gameplay. And it, it's not something he has to do. But we often thought with Leroy Fair, if he played the way we know he could play, he wouldn't be playing for Swansea City in the lower half of the Premier League. Very similar situation here within Cham. If he could play like he did last night in his cameo and pull that out for 60 minutes a game, every game, then he wouldn't be playing at this level. No, um, exactly. But he's when he does it, it is a joy to, joy to watch. Yeah, and um, he also had a part to play in the second one, which which followed soon after. Um, one thing which hasn't been spoken about in that first one is is Matt Grimes' pass into Encham in the first place, which was perfectly floated, uh, released Encham, who in turn released Wolf, who we've already discussed. He pulls it across the box. And um, Cyrus Christie is there to slam mm. it again, just goes for power and it, it goes through the keeper. I think Johnston may be a, a little bit disappointed with um, uh, his inability to keep that one out. But, um, I mean, as soon as we went 2-0 up, you know, West Brom were dead and buried. They weren't getting anything out of that game the way they played. The boos around the stadium, we couldn't hear it at the time because the, the sound of the way in was so loud. But when you look at it on... Um, you know, TV and vlogs and stuff on YouTube, you can see that the home fans were fuming and they just mm. exited the stadium. It was like a fire drill. Um, they all went at, uh, in unison. It was just, you know, grim from their point of view. Um, but, Matt, let's talk about Cyrus Christie because um, he came in in January. Um, I'll be honest, my opinion on Christie at the time was it's a decent signing, experienced um, championship right back, 
um, you know, a solid, dependable figure to, to have in the squad, um, you know, will do a decent job. I did not expect him to be as good um, as he has been. And we were discussing this on the way back last night to think how disappointed we were when, when Laird left. Um, I mean, people have made the made the comparison already and a lot of people said, well, I'm about to say already. But it is true. Cyrus Christie has been uh, undoubtedly by now, I think it's fair to say, a, a step up from, from Ethan Laird. Um, Laird, I would say, still say is, you know, a better dribbler. Uh, faster than than Christie, but in every other aspect, both defensively and offensively, I I think Christie is is the better right back, and I think he's been better for us than than Laird was uh, on the whole. When you look at their performances, I I don't know if I'm just overreacting because Christie scored, but again, I thought he was good against West Brom, and I think generally he's been really really good since he joined us. I I, I look I like. I like Cyrus Christie. I think he's come in. He's not the sort of player that we would have made when we were coming through the leagues. He's a, he's a player that's um, done the rounds. He's he's had an he's had a career. He's experienced. He wasn't someone that um, maybe was a was a was a rough diamond. He wasn't someone that needed. He 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 come in. He's very much established in what he's going to offer and what he can do. And he's been a fantastic addition um, to the to the squad. Um, I. I with Ethan Led, it's a very hard one to analyse retrospectively because Ethan Led started off the season like an absolute rocket. Um, he probably could have, and with better refereeing, should have earned us five or six penalties. That's true. In the That's... first ten games of the season alone, um, in terms of his attacking play. He was causing no end of problems for every team he came up against. Even the teams we back up battered against, like your Bournemouth, we could have gone one 0 up in that game um, with with another Stonewall penalty shout. But uh, he was he was one that towards the end, whether it was burnout, whether it was he's very young and and and, and perhaps not had the minutes under his belt, um, particularly obviously at this level. Um, but he, he'd stopped trying to run at his man and he'd stopped um, trying to take on his man and. Just felt like for the last well, six weeks or so that he was here, he felt like he was a wasted player on the pitch because he wasn't doing any of the things that made him so exciting earlier on. Um, and so it definitely left that sort of tainted taste where you just thought maybe he isn't all that. But um, look, he hasn't had a great time of it at, 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 at Bournemouth since going there. Um, don't think he's even getting game time, is he, um, at the moment? So he's not... Um, you know, it's not grass isn't always greener in that sense. But in, in Christie's come in and he's offered um, that very solidity I was talking about, uh, saying that he's going to give you the dependable, he's going to give you that kind of uh, solid performance. He's always going to be your, your, your six and a half to seven and a half out of ten player that's going to um, be able to provide in in those moments in the first half the only highlight we had was Cyrus Christie from a tight angle heading it towards goal um he offers that threat there he does come in late on the back post it's his second goal for us uh in in quite similar circumstances as his first and um in in, in terms of the effort and um it, it is one criticism I have of Cyrus Christie's play that I've seen in his time here it's his inability despite being on the wing to look across the line and stay on side. 
because at the moment That's he's finding himself offside five or six times a game. And look, any position, Bafatimbi Gomez used to get his absolutely destroyed on this podcast for that. Um, but if you are looking across the full of the the, the length of the, the width of the pitch to see everyone who you could possibly be flagged offside against, um, there's very little excuse. But that's something hopefully that um, he'll be a little less eager to step up early. And um, once he gets that right, uh, you know the. the the world's his oyster. And I do genuinely think that he is one that if the numbers work, uh, we should be looking. One of the first things we should be doing in the summer is is tying him down to a, to a proper contract with us. He's now he's out of contract in the summer. And I'd like to see him become a Swansea City player in his own right. Um, it would certainly help us when we're looking at the rebuilding job for next season, knowing you've got someone there who you can rely upon. And I think he's that sort of man. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of which, um, before we move on, uh, Kyle Norton was back for the first time yes, in uh, a yeah. couple of weeks yesterday after um, coming back from injury. I mean, how how big of an addition was he to the starting yeah. eleven? He was, mate. I think I think Kyle Norton is one of those ones who is you. Know, he's you'll never talk about him. Like, I know it's a hypocritical, and we're going to do it. But you never talk about him when he's on the pitch. But you take him out of that team, and boy, do you know that Kyle Norton isn't isn't there. And I think that epitomised last night. Really, um, he was up. You know, the the whole defence was up against six foot six or whatever he was. Andy Carroll. I know Andy Carroll was starved for starved. Of, quality service through the game but it's important as well to know when to go to him and to stand off him when to compete and when to let him win and and, and try and just ruffle his feathers Ben Cabango I thought did a superb job on him um, in that respect last night to to go and meet him when he needed to step off him when he knew he, he wasn't going to win the game win the battle and um, Norton is such a calming influence amongst that defence and he, he, he like I say I can't I, risk of repeating myself he's the sort of player you absolutely notice when he's not there and that's his biggest uh, the biggest compliment I can give him um, another who's out of contract in the summer and despite his advancing years I would consider offering another 12 months to him because his experience um, again he's one of those players you just want to have on your side absolutely absolutely um, weird statistic that I worked out after last night's game. Um, the Swans have won four away games this season. They've come on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night and a Friday night. <laughs> why Why do the Swans hate playing away in daylight, Matt? <laughs> why do they hate the fans that go to a Saturday game? <laughs> uh, do you know what? That is bizarre. Uh, daylight games seem to be our problem. I have no idea then. I, I didn't know that. Um, it's that's peculiar. Of course, we have had some stinkers in the late time as well. Um, but to see that a four, I mean, I, I'm, I just thought of Stoke then as I was saying it. Uh, that's that's the only stinker we've had. I will, is it really? Yeah, I mean, I was looking back. The only other game that we've lost um, away from home midweek um, was against Fulham. Fulham, um, yeah. Which, yeah. you know, makes sense. They're the best team in the division by a country mile. And, and I don't think the Swans played awfully in that game. But yeah, um, basically we've played... 10 games uh, away from home on a Saturday this season and we've got a grand total of three points from those games three draws so that's an average so that's a, a points per game ratio of 0.3 contrast that with games played in midweek in the night time uh, we've played seven of those and I think we've got 13 points 
So that's 1.9 point per game. So very nearly two points per game. Yeah. Which is... Uh, is this home correct. and away? Or is this just away? This is just away. This is just away. I was going to say, because I'm, th- I'm thinking of the home ones as well. And, and, and obviously, it'd be in the mixed bag all across the board, across yeah. the season. But who are the four away wins? Uh, we've played, we've won against first of all against Bristol City that was a Friday night yeah uh, and then we beat um, Coventry which I think was a Tuesday night and uh, Barnsley which I think was a Wednesday night and then of course last night yeah okay. so yeah those are the those are the four teams that we've beaten away from home um, and we've you know we've picked up I think um, the midweek the the other point that we picked up then in in midweek games was uh, a couple of weeks back against QPR. Um, which was a decent yeah. point, you know, QPR challenging for promotion, even though they've had a bit of a dip recently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, midweek away performances, if, you, if you're the kind of person that can't make weekends, um, you know, you, you've been having a great time of it. And like, <laughs> I mean, I've only been to three away games this season. And I've picked them so well. <laughs> I are they the ones, to... are they? Three of those four you've had? Well, I've, I've put this way, I've, I've been to two of them. I went to Coventry and saw us win there um, last night against West Brom. And I was also there when we got the three all at Luton, which felt like a win. Yeah. Because we'd come back from three there. goals down to get that point. So, you know, um, considering usually me going to an away game is guaranteed to result in, in defeat. Um it's yeah, it's uh, I'm pretty chuffed with the ones that I've chosen to go to this season. Yeah, um, I don't know whether looking at the the psychology behind what you're saying about the the midweek games, quite often, uh, sometimes you've got a Monday night game, a Wednesday night game, a Thursday night game. These games, it's sometimes difficult to get the crowd roused. It's easier to subdue a crowd. In a in a in a midweek game, sometimes I mean a lot of them have finished work an hour or two earlier. Have come straight over. They haven't had four hours solid of drinking, um, and and got themselves in that Saturday mood, that atmosphere kind of thing. Yeah, this is the weekend. I'm gonna explain said, um, and I'm wondering if that perhaps plays off because you you mentioned this was an away record thing, and and so we look. I'm looking at what would affect the opposition to allow us to get those positive results. And I know from times down the Liberty sometimes. God knows how many times we've I've gone down there in a midweek game and thought of the 101 other places I'd rather be <laughs> than in the freezing cold in the East End, thinking, watching uh, in the in the in the pissing down rain, thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? But yeah, um, it could be. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, it's a really yeah. odd one, and it's an interesting statistic you picked out. Um, are there any more uh, midweeks? <laughs> list lined up at the moment i don't know actually i'll need to i'll need to have a look to see if um i'll see a few people suggest that we should maybe move the south wales derby to a midweek um that's you know. a, we'll talk about that in a little bit actually i think because that's an interesting one at the moment which seems to be not here nor there i don't know if there's anything developed at in the meantime but at the moment are we still down for three uh, o'clock Saturday kickoff uh, at the moment, yeah, but they haven't announced the TV, um, the TV schedule, and you know it's going. You'd imagine it's it's always on TV. It's it's going to be on. TV. I know this might. Uh, I'm hoping that that um, overthinking and there's nothing to it, um, but uh, we do have Peterborough away. That is a Wednesday night game. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, I mean that should be winnable any day of the week, and I don't want to jinx us, but it it should be. Yeah. Uh, Millwall away is a Tuesday night game. Okay. They're doing, uh, they're Reading away. Yeah, Reading away is a Monday night game. Is it? Oh. So um, 
this is as it stands, of course. But uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's three there, um, <laughs> which if your uh, current trend continues, I'm quite interested actually that we were um, before we started recording. Let's mention the uh, the fixture list or the runner fixtures that we do have coming up in um, March April time, which uh, you know there's not a game there really. You're taking Fulham out of it um, from for for next week. Uh, the games are all something you could realistically say, well, if we're at it, then we could get something out of this. Um, and they all come in a nice little bunch. So uh, it'd be nice to see us finish, um, go on from here now and pick up a run. Because one thing I thought of last night, Gito, I don't know if you agree with this, but um, as soon as the full time whistle went, I felt a sense of we needed that. We needed a game which wasn't smash and grab. It wasn't... Um, back to the wall or anything like that. It was a steady performance that lasted the majority of the game. Yes, West Brom had a moment or two, but in terms of the whole game, it wasn't any part of the game where I thought, shit, 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 we're holding on, we're not doing anything right, we're da da da. The first half may be boring, but in the sense of we weren't ever out of it. Um, and it was nice to see that extended over uh, the majority of the game. And it's important now for me that that doesn't become a one-off and that we take that into the next game and start putting performances back-to-back because we need to see that, don't we? We need to see that this is something we can't just... It's not a flash in the pan and we go into show, we can build on it, we can learn from it because there was plenty of things we did right last night. Yeah, I I, th- I thought that was the best we've played in, in quite a while now um, and hopefully, like you said, it, it gives us a bit of foundation to build on. It, it did, of course, help. It has to be pointed out that West Brom were atrocious. And Matt, mm. just before we move on to discuss other things, I mean, what is going on at that club? You look at that squad and you think, you know, okay, that you know there are some players there that have been bad purchases and who are probably overrated. But there, there, there are players there that should be doing much better than what we saw last night. And the recent results have been so appallingly bad. Yeah. Um, and this is under two different managers. I mean, Valerian Ismail, I thought in the summer, was a, you know, he's a good coach. He did a brilliant job at Barnsley, but I thought he was a bad appointment for West Brom. Didn't think he really fitted um, in with that squad. Um, and then they've made, you know, just the most uninspiring of appointments in, in Steve Bruce. You know, the, uh, he's he's not going to be there, let's face it, for the long term, is he? Um, it's I, I just think with a club like West Brom, it must be so demoralising to see just the way that club's been run on and off the pitch um, yeah. this season. It's just been... A, it's just been such a bad season. There's no excuse for them finishing outside the top six, in my opinion. The fact that they could very well finish in the bottom half is a joke, quite frankly. And I think somebody pointed out if the season had started around October time, um, then they would be um, 20th in the table, uh, which doesn't bode well for them going forward. And a number of, um, I think one of their concerns as well is the high wage bill and the fact that a lot of their players are on um, contracts beyond this season as well. So, I mean, from their point of view, you can see why their fans were booing so much and why they made absolutely zero noise through the game apart from booing. Yeah, do you know what? I've seen quite a bit on, well, not quite a bit. I've seen four or five different uh, tweets 
coming back from it, West Brom fans from from yesterday, obviously retweeted and liked from Swans fans, and quite a few of them said um, that maybe they got it wrong with Ishmael because they thought, well, actually, at, at least early doors, whether they were liking it or not, he was the manager and they were getting results. And of course, that fell off a cliff, but it came, it didn't just fall off a cliff. Um, by chance, there was obviously they were winning ugly, and then it became the Cooper effect at Swansea, if you like, whereby um, the fans weren't happy with the manner of the performances. But that, unlike with Cooper, that trans transcended onto the pitch, and then the results stopped coming, and eventually Ishmael was replaced. And now Steve Bruce has come in, which I thought was always going to be a weird one because he's had such a he had such a horrible time at Newcastle. He was never Rafa Benitez, which is apparently his biggest critics, criticism um, from from their point of view. And uh, he had a horrible time there where he was just basically waiting to be put out of his misery. And you think he would want to have 12 to 18 months out of the game to lick his wounds, rethink his strategy before coming back into the game. But having spent such a long time demoralised and downbeaten and questioning himself, He's gone back almost immediately into football, into a club which is in a downward spiral and has had their own negativity for the last six to eight weeks prior to um, his arrival. And, and they've come into that that cauldron of expectation and demanding fans again. And I feel like he's gone there. And I, I can't imagine how long he was there before he thought, what have I done here? And it's, Listen, you were at the game last night, so you may not know this, but um, Sky were like dallying over their coverage for 20, 25 minutes after the game, waiting for Steve Bruce to give an interview. Perfect. He didn't. He didn't. Before their show had ended, he, they couldn't get him. Um, he has obviously spoken to, to, to the press since, but um, they, they, they couldn't get him for an interview last night, which is which which speaks volumes to me because Steve Bruce, if nothing else, um, I think everyone's always thought he's an absolute gentleman. And he's always done his duties and always come out. He's going to front up. He's always been like that. He's always always been, whether you like his tactics, whether you like his managerial style, you always say Steve Bruce comes across as an absolute gent um, and a a kind-hearted man. And and, and that's just from seeing the way his character is. Um, And and for him not to do that last night in the time frame he was required to do for Sky was a big big red flag. Um, So, yes, from West Brom's point of view, the sooner this season ends, um, the better. I mean, they were talking all game last night about how much West Brom needed it and how much can West Brom do it. In fact, they actually introduced the result as West Brom lost to Swansea rather than Swansea beating West Brom, which is exactly the mentality that Sky had last night, that this was nothing to do with Swansea last night. This is all about can West Brom put together a late playoff push. We're five points behind them now with two games in hand. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, I, mean what, what, I know, I know, our form has been erratic and dreadful for a long period of time. But, um, but when you consider that we're not like twelve places apart and talking about different stratospheres, um, theoretically, we win our games in hand, we do go above them. So that is basically Sky's narrative. There didn't really fit into the reality, but their their story is um, is 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 one of. Uh, a very, very poor season. Um, one they haven't really got many excuses for. Uh, whether Steve Bruce will see it into next season or whether they'll change again, I don't know. But you'd expect them to improve next time round because um, this has been a, a real eye-opener for them and their fans. 
Yeah, absolutely. And their fans are pretty miserable right now. I saw a lot of them before uh, before kickoff online kind of saying that they weren't going to bother going, that, you know, they lost patience and they weren't going to ruin their Monday night at the Hawthorns. And I think everybody who did go regretted that they uh, that they didn't follow uh, make the same kind of decision. Um, our fans, on the other hand, um, fantastic noise at the stadium, loads of energy. And when the goals went in, I think the kids call it limbs these days. Just absolutely <laughs> some spe- videos. Oh, just spectacular scenes. No know? injuries, Gitto. Sorry. No injuries from your part. No, no. I was, I was at the, I was in the very back row, so nobody was kind of <laughs> falling on so you top. You didn't decide to swan dive all over the other fans and they go no, I, I didn't. I stayed. I stayed on my feet, but I was bouncing up and down, absolutely loving it. So, to be um, fair, on the coverage, all you could hear, and I know we talked about West Brom fans being dejected and not really up for it, but all you could hear all game were the Swansea fans. Um, and despite what's gone on with the away performances we talked about at length, um, the Swans fans continue to 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 be a credit and. Uh, and and that that may in part explain why you had that experience prior to the kickoff yesterday with Russell Martin. I think uh, his way of saying thank you for sticking with us and for um and for turning up in your numbers despite what you've seen recently. And and uh, I think the fans deserve that, don't they? Because I mean they've seen some dross this season, um and they've um they they still come and they still sing and they're still the loudest wherever they go. So. You know, it, it, I'm chuffed for you and for everyone who went last night that they got to see that performance, and it and it was over an extended period of time as well. And it was, I'm sure, the late goals are always great. Um, to to have that nice period as well, where you thought, oh, you know what, we've won this, and I'd be able to enjoy it and have limbs, as you say. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd experience it wasn't to the extent of the comfort as you're saying but Bristol City um the first uh, midweeks wins was uh, the closest thing I can probably uh explain to uh, what you probably are remembering from last night which was just as you say just just mental celebrations and everyone enjoying themselves which is great yeah just a, just a, what what a way did what everything that makes it a way day good we had it last night um uh, also last night there was uh, um, a nice moment where the fans um, all joined in t- uh, a chant of one John Toshak. Um, Matt, uh, the greatest manager in this club's history, the man who led the club from Division 4 to the top flight. Uh, he is currently in hospital, according to reports, um, battling COVID and pneumonia. Um, seems to be in a, a pretty bad way, so... I think you'll agree, Matt. We're sending him our best wishes and hoping that he can uh, fight off this uh, this virus. Oh, absolutely! I think everyone, well, anyway, everyone in the football world, he's such a giant of the football world, and and, and even beyond that, is uh, is hoping that we get some good news on that front um, sooner rather than later, and uh, and 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 keep fighting and keep fighting strong because um, you know everyone hopes and and prays that he can. Uh, he can fight it off, and um, there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of uh, life and sporting life in uh, John Toshak yet, and we want to hear more and see more of him. And um, yeah, we just hope that we can hear something uh, we can hear something soon which will give us some um, positivity about the situation. Yeah, really hoping that uh, Big John Toshak can uh, 
can get back to full health soon and um yeah that uh, like you said that we can get some good news soon hopefully but um until then our best wishes uh, go out to john and his family and um Hopefully, uh, like you said, we'll um, we'll hear about the recovery soon. Um, but let's move on now to discuss the upcoming game. We've talked about the positives from West Brom. Hopefully, Matt, you know that'll put the players in a confident mood and get them in the, in the right frame of mind as they um, prepare to face uh, Coventry at the Liberty Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, and and we we are a different kettle of fish at home aren't we we're very much a, a, a different sort of team now not saying that in terms of um performances necessarily i feel like okay the second half of bristol city was 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 far and away uh, a much better performance than the first i mean the first half we did have um fans um booing the the, the players leaving the pitch and it sporadically and it was that contrast of the between the first and the second half can't be understated really uh we had the disappointment of Luton but we had one two at uh, two last two at home um or three and four if you if you include before before the Luton game so at home we seem to be more capable of getting the results irrespective of how the performance in general goes so Coventry is one of those games where you're looking at and you're thinking Yes, they're above us in the table, but Coventry at home is 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 very much a winnable is very much a winnable game. Swans' point of view, and they will much prefer to play the Swansea City obviously before last night. They'd rather play it at their stadium than at ours because um, yeah, we do seem to be able to just dig it out in front of our own fans and um, and hopefully that we'll 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 see a performance as well that can build on. Uh, the, the the one we saw last night because what are we really really speaking what have we got to play for this season um, barring an absolute miracle this season's dead um, so what we're looking at now is putting stuff in place so we can build upon and performance like last night as professional performance like last night uh, where we got it tactically spot on. Um, is the sort of thing you need to take going forward and say, right, okay, now we need to work out how we're going to play against Coventry, how we're going to make them worry about us, um, and 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 give us those options looking ahead now to say, right, this is essentially a 14-game audition for next season, um, and why not? Because ultimately, like I say, it, it, very little left on the seat campaign for us, so we can really give this a run-up now. The 22-23 season, go into it, and and give this now with pressure off us to say this is how we want to be and this is how we want to play and hopefully we'll be able to be a little bit more expressive in our play and uh, be a little bit smarter in our play, shall I say? I do. I think Coventry will be a good game in that sense because um, you know we saw when we met them first first game of the uh, the season away at the. Uh, uh, it's not called the Rico Arena anymore. I can't remember what it's called. It's uh, some kind of sponsorship deal. Um, but, you know, it was a great game, really open, really uh, well contested. Um, but there were chances of plenty. And that's because Coventry, I think, play the same way the whole time. They they play, very, they play a very attacking style. They're reasonably open. I don't think they're a team that's really particularly suited to shutting up shop and trying to frustrate the opposition. I think... They're a team that tries to go toe-to-toe to the opposition, which means it's an entertaining game. But also, they're going to leave space. And I think a lot of the time when teams come to the Liberty, 
the times we struggle against them is when they sit back and they try to frustrate us and they just park the bus and catch us out then on the break. And um, that's when we really struggle to break teams down, uh, when when teams do that. I don't really see Birmingham doing that. Uh, sorry, Coventry doing that. I think they're going to come to the liberty and they're going to try and create chances. They're going to try and play a passing game, an open game, fast-paced. Um, and that should leave space for both teams. So while it'll give our defenders more to do, probably, um, hopefully it'll leave a bit more space in midfield, a bit more space out wide for... Um, for for us to try and create something as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the mentality is 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 key there uh, that we need to be looking to uh, take to take the game to Coventry and and to look to exploit those spaces they may leave. And quite often I've been a critic of our pedestrian style. I mentioned when I was talking about uh, comparing last night's game, particularly the second after games we'd seen recently, where we do take a second or third touch. Um, and when the inevitable defender comes across and closes up your Pattersons, your Piros, your Obafemis, then we go, right, OK, well, that's no longer on, so I'll pass it sideways. So when those sorts of situations happen and it's infuriating, I, I'm hoping that we see a little bit more bravery in our play and a little bit more uh, confidence to try that pass and try that ball forward. Um, and I think that leads from the bench. That comes from the manager. Uh, I know he can, you know, kick up a storm about the players not playing the way he hopes to, but the selection for me is key. I think he needs to be showing his cards to the players and to the fans, um, and, and and saying, look, we're gonna we're gonna go at these and we're gonna try and entertain and win the game. Um, I'm a big fan of playing Obafemi and Perot together, uh, or, or Perot just off Obafemi. Um, the intelligence of Piro to, to, to arrive late in the box or to drift off his man to find a pocket of space is, is unrivaled. Um, I think he he knows exactly where to be and when to be there. Um, and his finishing is 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 Michu-esque. Um, and, you know, to, in terms of when he gets in those positions, you you have no doubt of of how he's going to uh, where the ball's going to end up. But um, it's hard for him to do that when he's the lone front man because it means then you've got your he is relying on Patterson to be close up to him um because the defender can easily put not mark him out of the game and he seemed quite isolated and he's never been what a player to um dominate the game but you need him to be in those pockets of space hidden from defenders when the opportunity does arise and the Obafemi in particularly for Perot's goal last night we can talk about Perot drifting off, whatever. But Obafemi makes a dart towards the goal line. Um, so when the ball is pulled back by Uncham, the defenders are occupying themselves with Obafemi. Perot's in that pocket of space. And I think I like that. I like that. I like that attacking intent there of having them both up there. They've got more issues to worry about. Um, Patterson as well. Whether he's at the sort of level and form that he was at earlier in the season, it's up for debate. But his presence alone is a goal and assist threat for the opposition, something they need to consider, something they need to worry about. Um, I'd keep leaving Cham on the bench. I think he's an impact sub. I don't think he's one we can start because um, he doesn't give us the, the, the energy. It's pointless him giving us our his 20-minute boost when everyone's fit and fresh. I think we're better okay, bringing him off the bench when the opposition are tiring, where he can have an impact like he did last night. Um, and yeah, I, you know, again, some may disagree. Hannes Wolf, 
uh, I much prefer him uh, taking that wing-back role than Latibodier. Um, if he's fit, I know he took a couple of kicks and knocks last night, so I'm hoping that he's not come off too worse for wear for that. Um, but that sort of player as well, because even though he's playing in that wing-back role, his instinct is to get forward and to support the front man. And you mentioned earlier on, Gitto, about his link-up play with Patterson. And his, his one-touch passing, his flicks inside, his movement, got in the box a few times and created a bit of trouble. I know we, we struggled to create that final opportunity in the first half, but there was a lot of good movement, a lot of good passing there. And I think in him, he's an asset to have on the pitch because when we get forward, he is a very creative player and he gives us another dimension. So if we approach it the right way in a selection then I'm sure that will pass off to the players and not only that, but to the fans as well, who will know that this is a team that's come out to attack and um, and, and we can hopefully see a performance that will um, will make us realise that we can put a couple together back-to-back. And like I say, well, we've got to run a game so we can win. It's important you go into those games in a, rich, in a good vein of form um, because... <laughs> you, you can all of a sudden find yourself picking up seven from nine, etc. And you're looking at it then, you're thinking, oh, we're on a bit of a run here now and the next game is winnable. The next game is potentially winnable. Um, and and you, you want to get on those sorts of runs. You? It breeds confidence. It breeds good, uh, good positivity atmosphere. You get me on a podcast talking happy things, which is a <laughs> rarity. Um, all those things, really. But uh, I hope Russell Martin sticks with his positive uh, selection. Yeah, I really hope so too. Um, and, you know, there's evidence that we can get a reward for it. Coventry are on a decent run at the moment. They've only lost one of their last six games. Um, that was against Cardiff. I actually watched that game, but I thought Coventry were quite poor in that game, I'll be honest. I don't think they were I don't think they were great. Um, but um, uh, they've also, I mean, they've only kept one clean sheet, though, in the last seven. So they, they do let in goals, which is the point that we've been making. There is... You know there is there is room for goals in in this game. Uh, they're also going to be without Dabo, their right back, who's um, uh, who's received a, who received a red card in the game against Preston last week. Um, so he'll be suspended. But um, one player who is likely to play Matt is um, Jake Bidwell. Um, now there was um, it, it felt when he left as though kind of there was. More, I think there was more appreciation for Jake Bidwell when he left the Swans than there <laughs> had been at any point during his entire stay here um, because he was a much maligned player for a long time. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, he left and people were acting like he was the kind of missing link. And I do sympathise with that because I, I, I questioned slightly the wisdom of letting him go. I thought we could have done with the numbers. But, um, um, yeah, I guess another chance to look back and ask, you know, what... Well, what well, you know, the what, legacy do, of Bidwell. Well, yeah, and do you think do you think we have missed Jake Bidwell since since he went to Coventry? I don't think that I don't think anyone can say that we haven't. And even if you're just looking at purely purely that is made up a word there purely from a uh, numbers point of view, how we've struggled, how we've struggled in that position since he's left, yeah. it's been one of the biggest, most damning criticisms of Swansea City SC this season is letting him go and not having his replacement lined up. I know we've got Ogbeta, um, who's or Og Tables who's gonna come in and um if he gets fit. Uh, I know she's struggling with that side of the things the side of things at the moment. But um we've we've we played Manning out there, we played Lata Bodier out there, we've got Hannah's Wolf out there. Um and and 
it, it, we were working on a one-out-one-in philosophy at the club. We were looking at, we had to get rid of players, which we all bought into and accepted in the January transfer window. And Jake Bidwell, in a position where we weren't particularly blessed with, with numbers anyway, um, to let him go, expected him to be one of the higher-ended in, in the club and he was out of contract in the summer anyway. Um, but to not replace him and to do in the 11th hour then, a deadline day, felt a bit like we just completely lost our minds. Um, so, yes, we, we are still paying the price of letting Jake Bidwell go. That's not to say that I thought he was the next, the, the second coming of the Messiah. Um, he was very good at what he did. He was just very much more a Steve Cooper player than a Russell Martin player for me. I don't think he was mobile enough to play the sort of football that Martin wanted to play. Um but you get the ball to him. He, he, he came to me as like, he looked to me like a left back David Beckham in a sense of he was never going to skin two or three men down the line like an Ethan Led and then try and get into the box. But if you put the ball in on his foot on the on the edge of the box, he's going to whip in a, one of the best crosses in the division because he had a great cross on him. But to get him into that position, you needed to work it around and allow him to get himself up the pitch and then you could give it to him uh, and then he could whip in the ball. But... Um, I don't think he would have worked. I don't think he was ever really in line for a new contract, particularly if, if you know, money situation wouldn't have allowed it. Um, but he was solid. Look, him and Connor Roberts last season racked up goals and assists um, and were, for large parts of the season, our biggest threats. So, yeah, it would, you know, I wasn't his biggest fan. But at the same time, you have to respect the art of what he was doing just because it wasn't Russell Martin's style of play, that doesn't mean that he won't fit in well elsewhere. I'm surprised he didn't end up at uh, a Middlesbrough, that sort of club where he, where he thought he was going to go a little while earlier. Um, but um, yeah, I'm sure I wish him well, apart from on the weekend. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we also have the benefit of knowing exactly what he is good at. And so that is something that we need to don't know ahead of the game don't let him get crosses in because if he does, he's going to be able to put him in an area which can hurt you. And that was something we did reasonably well last night. I thought blocked um, blocked off the crosses into the box. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's likely he's going to play. I think he's he's only missed one game since he moved. So um, he's definitely unlike Ethan Laird, um, nailed down a spot in uh, Coventry starting lineup. So uh it seems he will be coming back. The question is, will he be celebrating a win or will he be down in the dumps as he returns to his new home? Um, prediction. Matt, what do you think? Are we going to follow up the win against West Brom with uh, another double, this time against the Sky Blues? I hope so. And I think and the reason I'm confident or positive and optimistic is because I think that um, comments emanating from the club since Sheffield United have suggested a slight change in tact and maybe wising up a little bit ahead of time and not just being stubborn to the extent of we're going to do this and do this and do this some more and maybe just being a little bit more like actually we need to make sure that we aren't just every player everywhere we need to be a little bit more disciplined in how we do things um, because otherwise as attractive as you want it to be. If you're two or three nil down within 20 minutes, you're never going to win a game of football. So last night, I thought we saw that sort of professionalism, that sort of... Uh, the naivety went out of our game a little bit last night, which I was pleased to see. And I'm hoping that's a little bit 
proves to be a little bit of a turning point in the second half of our season where we may just be now a little bit more aware of what we're doing and not just we've won the ball so all of a sudden four of our defenders need to sprint up the pitch as quickly as possible and leave one poor bugger on at the back on his own um but yeah we just have a little bit more professionalism a little bit more intent in how we're going to manage a game uh, and if we take that going forward along with uh, showing a little bit more bravery in the opposition half then there's no reason to think we can't get a result and i'm gonna opt for a 1-0 home win for this one. Uh, I'm feeling um, <laughs> super positive after uh, what we saw at the Hawthorne, so I'm going to follow suit and I'm going to go for uh, a win, but I'll go for a 2-1 win um, for the Swans. But hopefully we can uh, we can keep it up now that we've got the wind in our sails. I will just very quickly look ahead to our next game, which uh, will be on next Tuesday against the league leaders and pretty much champions-elect, I think, in most people's eyes, Fulham. Um Put simply, Matt, I don't think anybody looks forward to playing Fulham these days, do they? I mean, they are just a runaway train in this division. And they have got by far and away the best squad in this division. Um, and they are just winning pretty much flat out at the moment. So yes. how are we going to beat them? Um, well, that's a question. Uh, we need to stop the supply to Mitrovic, simply put. Uh, the man's already broken championship records and we've still got a third of the season to go. It's obscene. Um, and he, he will do at this level, but he's got the, the squad around him to give him the ball and supply him. And they've got the dangerous, the threats on the wings that can um, make sure the ball gets to him. And you've got so many players to worry about. In a, They're going to break the 100-goal uh, barrier this season. They, You know... The goal difference is is ridiculous. It's plus 53 is obscene. But looking at the way they play and the way they just blow teams away, the only chance you've got against a Fulham team is to um, is to starve Mitrovic of the ball. And they've had um, a physical forward uh, to deal with last night and they did a, an exceptional job on not just him, but his supply lines. It's a different kettle of fish when you're talking about West Brom to Fulham. You're talking about a team full of confidence or a team completely stripped of it. But that said, the principles are the same. You need to make sure you don't overcommit to the wingers. You can't let them skip around you because with the pace they've got, they will. So you need to give them a yard or two to step off, but you also need to make sure they can't then deliver the ball into the box. So it's about timing it. It's about making sure that you don't overcommit and allow themselves a free run in on goal. Um it's about being clear. You need a slice of luck as well, let's be honest. A big slice of luck if you're going to get a result. Um, and hopefully they have an off day and a perfect storm can happen and you, you can get it. But um, first and foremost, there's no question in my mind, we're not going to outscore Fulham in a contest of attacking teams because we struggle uh, getting the goals. Fulham don't. So let's not try and beat them at that. But let's try and keep them at bay and allow ourselves that sniff, that opportunity with your Perot or Buffemi Pattersons just to catch them out and, and just to create something um, up the pitch. I'd expect us to um, play with a little bit of... Commentary result will dictate a lot of this, but playing with the confidence of, of, of recent results if we do manage to pick up a positive one, but at the same time, be very wary 
you don't want to come off two good results and then get a 5-0 pounding at home because that won't do anyone any good. So we keep them quiet. Um, and I, I do think realistically the best chance we've got of this is is a draw, but I've been wrong almost every prediction I've made this season. So um, what's another one for me? <laughs> I mean, they've... I mean, Fulham haven't been as rampant as they were a couple of weeks back. I mean, start of January, they were winning 7-0, mm. I mean, they were just scoring flat out. Um, just embarrassing teams, you know, um, week in, week out. It's um, They've slowed down a little bit. I mean, against Cardiff, it was only 1-0. Um, just one Mitrovic goal, um, the difference between the two teams. But Just one? Ju- just the, just the one. Um, <laughs> you know, it, but... but Let's face it, they're, they're an amazing team when you look at the, the attacking talent that they've got on that side. I mean, they already had the likes of Mitrovic, Cabano, um, Cavallo, who looks an absolutely phenomenal young player who's uh, already go, he's going to Liverpool at the end of the season. He, he just looks like a star in the making. You can see why Liverpool want him. Um, who else have they got? I mean, they, obviously Harry Wilson, who is having a great season with them. And then in the in the January transfer window, they go out and get Nico Williams on loan, who, mm. in my opinion, has has you know no right to be in the championship with his quality. I I think he should have been on loan at a relegation battling Premier League team. Personally, I think that would have been more useful for him. Swansea City, <laughs> yeah, or Swansea City, yeah. obviously. <laughs> but I mean, I think that would have been better for his development from a Welsh point of view, just because. I think he's going to find Fulham far too easy. It's, you know, Fulham winning week in, week out, um, dominating games, creating tons of chances. They didn't need Nico Williams. They they, they were they were already going up, up without Nico Williams. Um, I think Nico would have probably benefited a bit more from a higher standard of opposition and perhaps a, a bit more adversity um, down towards the bottom of the Premier League. But there we go. Bottom line is they've got a Premier League quality um, fullback whipping in crosses for a player in Mitrovic who is clearly whatever whatever anybody says about his suitability for the Premier League he's clearly far too good for the Championship his goal scoring yeah, record yeah. is insane at this level he is the best striker that I've ever seen at this level um, you know there are various reasons why it hasn't worked out for him at the Premier, uh, Premier League level but you know it's a cheat code it's a guaranteed promotion when you've got him in the championship. So, I mean, let's face it. This is what nobody goes into Fulham expecting anything. You go in there hoping that you're going to be able to frustrate them in some way, that you're going to catch them on an off day. And it does happen. A couple of games ago, they lost 2-1 at home against Huddersfield. Nobody was expecting that. Not too long ago, they got a draw against Blackpool, and Blackpool played really well against them. They have lost games this season. They have had games where... It hasn't quite functioned. Um, apparently, that was the case against Cardiff. They weren't at the usual best, but they found a way of winning of winning the game. You know, this we've got to hope that they they're in one of those moods where it's not quite clicking. They don't really have the energy that they usually would. And if that's the case, then who knows? Perhaps we can we can sense that we can get something out of the game. But like you said. I think it's first and foremost about trying to keep things disciplined, keep things tight, limit the mistakes, uh, not play at their hands. Because I think it's fair to say when we were at Craven Cottage earlier on in the season, we didn't play too badly, but we gave them far too much space, far too much mm. freedom um, to attack. And, um, you know, Mitrovic 
punished us ruthlessly um, with with three very well taken goals. So you know, I think it's um, I think I think for us to have any kind of chance, the defence has got to have probably its best game of the season. Um, but yeah, this is this is definitely one that you go into um, hoping for a shock rather than expecting anything. So with that in mind, Matt, give me a prediction. Um, it, is there any hope here? I think it's one of those ones you hope to see um, performance and and a, and a good attitude on the players. You don't want to see heads dropping. You don't want to see. You still want to see players tracking the men. You want to see them doing the 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 utmost, even if Fulham are man to man, just better all over the pitch. You just want to see that everyone's pulling in the same direction. Um, it's certainly one of those ones you take a lot more heart from the performance from, even if the result isn't exactly as you'd hoped. Um, but again, I think Coventry plays a little bit into it for me. Um, but if we do get a, a, a good result against Coventry, I can see us having enough confidence in the Fulham game to to really limit them. But as far as that concerns, uh, I can't see us doing quite enough. Um, I, I, I'll go for a 2-1 away win for that one. We haven't we haven't had any of the kind of thrashings at home that we've no. had away from home. I mean, at, at home, the only one was Stoke, wasn't it? I think. When yeah, we, the three-one right yeah. at the start of the season when things were still gelling and mm. Russell Martin had only just arrived. Um, but since then, I mean, I, I don't know if we've lost by more than one goal at home. Um, can't imagine we have. So. Um, but but I do have a horrible feeling that this may be the one. We did that... get pumped by Forrest. They're gonna. I cannot oh, God, not yes. remember that one. <laughs> yes, we did. We I lost had repressed Forrest. It, but thanks for bringing it back to my forefront of my memory because I had oh. repressed that one successfully. Man, <laughs> sorry to bring that up. <laughs> I am sorry. Yes, we have been pumped at home. We have been absolutely smashed <laughs> at home. Okay. Um. I yeah. I I think I think this could be one of those games where. If Fulham get one goal, we'll try and roll the dice and overextend ourselves and leave ourselves open. And I can see it turning a bit nasty. So I'll I'll go for a 3-0 win to Fulham. And just one of those nights where you just say, yeah, there was nothing we could do really. But if we do, do lose you know to Fulham, I don't think there's any shame in it because I think they're a Premier League team in waiting. Yeah, and do you know what? I don't think anyone is going to blink if they see Swansea City you nil, know, Fulham three. Um, you don't want to turn in five and six because that is where people go. Here we go. Um, but you know, two or three nil to Fulham at this season has become the norm. You know, you're you're an anomaly if you haven't lost three nil to Fulham. I know we yeah. already have uh, earlier in the season, but in terms of how we have played, um, I think taking the performances side, I think if we if we were to get the result you've predicted, three nil. Uh, but the performance was a generally positive one and a, a competitive one, even if they were just better than us. Um, I don't think too many people will, you know, grumble or throw their toys out of the pram over that one. Um, I, I'm, I wouldn't be too disheartened if I'm honest, which is a bizarre thing to say, a three-nil home reverse. But um, it just goes to speak volumes of just how far ahead Fulham is from the rest of the division. Yeah, it's a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? Um, but there we go. We've got two home games to look forward to, and uh, hopefully you can join us next time when we will be looking back at those games and analysing uh, what the Swans did well, hopefully repeating uh, some of the traits that we saw at West Brom, uh, and uh, hopefully picking up a few more points to uh, 
to to go with the three points that we got on Monday night. But until that, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.